Welcome to the Matt Report, a podcast for building businesses with WordPress. Subscribe to the Matt Report at mattreport.com forward slash subscribe. And now your host, Matt. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Matt Report. Today, I have a special guest. Her name is Megan Gray, and she's a wonderful web designer that I've been following for quite some time now and uh, is, a, is really a prolific freelancer. This show sort of coming off the uh, coattails of Paul Jarvis, um, who labels himself the freelancer. It was a wonderful addition to the discussion about being a freelancer with Megan today. One of the many things, first of all, I, I love talking to web designers and trying to uncover their uh, process for, you know, designing a project, approaching a client, pricing a project. Uh, the real creative part of our business, at least in my case, has always been the most challenging in terms of presenting it to a client, pricing the time, finding good talent. Uh, design is really, really tough. And it's one of these things that, uh, well, you know it's worth it because if you look at like Apple, for instance, right? Apple sells so much and is is such a powerful brand because uh, their design of product is so phenomenal, right? Or has been phenomenal when sort of the mobile experience and laptops of five, six years ago really kicked in. People saw how important design was, at least in terms of the business and how it relates to the consumer. Um, that being said, I think the particular challenge that faces development is, or at least what gives it a good comparison is development is much more straightforward in the sense of we have our deliverables, we know what we need to build, let's just go and build it for the most case most cases where design is a lot more flexible and a lot more uh, difficult to hit the mark. Uh, Megan's processes are phenomenal, as you'll learn, but also it relates to the business that she's put together at houseofgrays.com. What we uncover in today's discussion, <clears throat> excuse me, what we uncover in today's discussion is the fact that she's, you'll hear it in, in her answers, like it's not really, she's not really looking for work anymore. I know that sounds... Uh, a little strange uh, to some folks. I think that inevitably we always find ourselves uh, in a situation where we need new work, uh, a pipeline drives out or, or whatever. Uh, but Megan's initiatives uh, online and just connecting with great clients has kept the referral wheel going to the point where she's not super concerned with discovering or having to find uh, somebody new to bring on board. And uh, that's a great that's a great discussion. Uh, on how she's done that. And though she might not have, you know, particular um, actionable points on how, she, how she's done that, you can hear it in her branding. If you watch her, if you follow her online, um, if you look at her portfolio, that's a good takeaway for you, right? That means that if you're looking at how she's, just the way she's approaching things, the work that she's doing, see how it's all connected, um, the message that she puts out along with the work that she's doing sort of resonates to the type of client that she wants to work with. And I think that's something that folks who are listening to this uh, can take away from. She also has a great sort of onboarding and discovering process, though it's not automated like we hear a lot of today, and that's totally fine. I mean, even I don't have all of this stuff automated. Uh, the questions and the process that somebody has to go through in order to do work with her it's top-notch, and I think that is another valuable takeaway for anybody who's doing creative work or even development work, for that matter. 
Uh, MattReport.com slash subscribe is the best way to join and stay connected. I'm thinking about doing a uh, breakdown soon on my mailing list of all the tools that I use at my agency. Everything that we use to onboard customers, keep everything connected, and run product at the same time. If you're interested in that kind of thing, definitely sign up at MattReport.com slash subscribe because I believe I'll be putting that out by the month's end. So definitely join to get that, we'd love a five-star review in iTunes if you are finding these shows enjoyable, informative, educational, fun, uh, and you want to show your support, you can go over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. If you go to mattreport.com, you can find the link right over there and do that. I also have Plugin Tut. It's been going phenomenal. You can head on over there if you're looking for new WordPress tutorials, if you're a WordPress plugin developer and you're looking for a new way to promote your products, do connect with me over at PluginTut.com. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Hey, Megan. Uh, welcome to the program. Thanks. Good to be here. I've been following your work for quite some time, um, envious of your designs. Uh, but for folks who don't know who you are and what you do, uh, give us the ele- elevator pitch or the long biblical speech, however you, <laughs> however you want to take it, uh, of what you do. I, I think I'll go elevator pitch here. Um, so I am an independent designer um, under the moniker House of Greys and that has evolved to doing sort of a holistic branding approach um, and web design so I like to work with people who come in and they want to build something from scratch or totally tear down what they have and start fresh and we will do sort of a branding deep dive come out with a logo and a new website and then I like to stay with them for the long haul and ensure kind of the success of their business after launch. So it's a little bit more than just web design at this point, but it's a really good sweet spot for me right now. I do want to, I want to get into that, um, that whole thing of now we're, we're no longer just web designers or we're no longer just, you know, web developers anymore. Uh, I actually put this question out the other day, you know, what is a web designer in 2016? You know, it's more branding, brand strategy, more marketing, more business development, at least in my eyes. But, you know, how do you feel that question of what is a web designer today? Um, That's interesting because a lot of the inquiries I get or a lot of the people I come into contact with, um, it's synonymous with web developer. Um, So the assumption is that if you're a web designer, you also code it and do all of the black magic that's involved on the other side of that. For me, what it mostly means is that I'm sort of a perfect in-between where I have the design chops and the background and um, I've worked with the client on copywriting and branding and everything, but I also know enough about WordPress um, front-end development and having worked with a lot of engineers for a long time to sort of be a really successful liaison between those two endpoints. And that that's kind of what it means to me, but I, I, don't, I don't think there's just one good go-to definition right now, which I think... Is the problem we're touching on here a little sure, bit. Yeah. Um, the other thing you mentioned here in the opening is that you like starting from scratch, which I love too, right? I love that. I love the idea of, you know, folks coming to us and, and, and to me looking to redesign their sites and they say redesign and they're thinking, well, yeah, we can, we can sort of just move things around, right? <laughs> we could maybe change yeah. the shade uh, of, of this, of the site. And for folks who've been listening for a while now, I'm, I'm doing this kitchen renovation and, I tell you, this kitchen renovation has never sort of fortified my position as a great consultant than anything else because (laughs) I have never been in a situation where there are so many 
independent contractors who are all operating at their own frequency, not talking to each other, you know, and today just a continued pain of <laughs> the, the walls that are, are still not straight. And I've had this discussion over and over and over again with people, but without me sort of getting on my soapbox and blabbing on about that, why <laughs> do you like, uh, or, or at least how do you position yourself when somebody says, you know what, Megan, can we just do a little, a little redesign, maybe just a little touch up? How do you sort of feel that and sort of and combat that in your own business? You know, at this point, I think the word to describe how I handle it would be firmly. Um, I think that uh, several years ago, I would kind of work with it and, you know, jump in with the faith that I could work them into my position down the road or that I could talk them into bigger and better changes. And now I'm, I'm kind of at the point in my career, I've been doing this a while, where I realize that the best relationships start out with people who kind of want to let me do what I do um, for their own best interest and kind of understand that if we're going to invest their money and my time and work together, that the best results are going to happen if we have real discussions about what needs to go. It, it doesn't mean that I won't take on those little tweaks or customizations, but um, yeah, if I don't think it's a good fit or a good approach, it's just I'm at the point where I just will say that. <laughs> it's been really nice. Um, so how do you – customer comes in and they say – you know, uh, we've got this, you know, because here's what I typically hear. And this is just straight out of, you know, the cold email leads that I get uh, and referral emails that I get is we want to do a redesign. We don't have a big budget. It needs to be done in two months, let's say. Yeah, and that's, you know, sometimes that's like that's amazing to get somebody who wants it in two months and not two weeks. Um, right. You know, you get that <laughs> typical customer. And like you said, maybe the Megan of three, four, five years ago would have said, no problem, you know, I'm all over it, whatever whatever you want, I'll do it. Uh, what what sparked, what was the catalyst for you to say, you know what, I'm going firm now, like, no, we can't get this done in two months, I need three months, and I need twice the budget. Um, what was that one lesson that you learned to really say, you know what, I'm, I'm putting this, drawing this line in the sand, stamping my feet, saying, no, you can't cross until you, you know, do this. Well, I think it's, I think it's like that old um, adage, you know, experience keeps a dear school, but a fool will learn and no other kind of thing. Nice. Um, which is to <laughs> nice. say that I was burned enough times um, taking on things that I suspected might not be a good fit, or I just totally missed the red flags completely. And the thing is, in the end, it's nobody kind of wins in that scenario. So I think to answer your question is just experience taught me that we're all better off in the end if we take on projects with the philosophy of like do no harm and um, I think also just a time and confidence in my work and the ability to believe that I'll get a client that is a right fit I don't have to take on everything I don't have to say yes to everything for the fear of something better might not come around the corner or this might be something I'm missing out on yeah you know and, and I think that's one of the um, major fears right uh especially folks who have just started out you know they might listen to somebody on this podcast or on countless other podcasts and they hear the typical you know the typical designer's advice or web designer's advice is well oh, just double your rates just triple your rates right and yep. and people hear that and they're like they're just afraid they're okay so maybe they're at let's say they're the fresh out of you know 
quote unquote fresh out of school, they might be charging, I don't know, 50 bucks an hour, right? And maybe that's, they're still doing hourly. Like we're not even talking, you know, uh, uh, project-based or uh, value-based pricing at this point or uh, long-term retainer-based stuff. They're like, wow, I'm going from 50 to 100. That already freaks them out. Then they have to sort of position that with the client. Um, You know, at the end of the day, folks who are listening to this and go, boy, I'm afraid to actually double my rates. I am afraid to double my rates, triple my rates. You got to, mm-hmm. you have to do it. <laughs> Number one. And you have to take that, that leap. I know you're scared. We know you're scared. Um, or, or just go through the paces then <laughs> and learn the hard way. Like I don't have any other like sugar coating to put on this. It's okay. Continue yeah. rolling through with 50 bucks an hour or whatever you're at. But you're going to learn quick that the customer is either going to really control the project and lead it into, you know, potential disaster um, or they're going to take forever to pay you. I mean, there's so many things that come through experience that um, I don't know. I, I don't know where I was going with it, but I know that there's a fear. There's a definite fear. But then there's also a great learning factor from failing Absolutely. <laughs> at the same time. And I think, I think a lot of people, when they feel that fear to double their rates or they have that hunch that, but I won't get clients, I won't get work. And I think that for me, that, that was right. You know, I wasn't at the point where I was ready to double my rates. I think that if you have that hesitation to just double it and go for it, you know, maybe that means you're not, you're not ready. You're still kind of cutting your teeth and trying to add your value to the, you know, grow your skills and be worth double your rates. And I think it's not always the right answer to just charge more and work less. I think that I knew when I was at that point because I simply couldn't afford to keep taking on the clients who were bargain basement and took up more time than a high touch client. And in the end I was chasing, you know, (laughs) tiny paychecks around and it just got to be where like I got better and better leads from the work that I was showing and putting out there. And I thought, you know, I have to, I have to raise my prices in order to be able to take on these big projects and do quality work and give them focus and time. I can't, I just truly can't afford these small gigs anymore. Right. So, you know, one of the other things that, um, that you mentioned, of course, is you have to, when you double your rates or you raise your rates or you find the bigger client, like this is, let me take a step back. This is like, this is the game to me, right? Like this is the game. This is what I really enjoy about our, uh, our industry is one day you wake up and you're servicing, you know, the mom and pop pizza, pizza joint down the street, right? You're building a website for them, but you are ambitious and you're ready to get to the next level. And years go by. And as a year goes by, you start doing a small business site, more brochure ware site. And it's maybe now you're at the 3000, 4000, 5000 mark. Um, and you keep rolling and then you end up, you go to conferences, you meet people, you network with bigger agencies. And before you know it, you start landing the 10, the 15, the 20. Um, and then it, you know, it goes beyond that. And at the same time, in order to elevate, to get to those clients, you have to be ready to serve those clients, um, because their expectations aren't the mom and pop pizza joint anymore. That's like, Hey, you know, get it when you're done, you know, get to it whenever there's no rush. (laughs) And then you get into the enterprise or more corporate space and they're like, okay, you got these 60 days. Here's the, you know, RFP. We need you to get this done. Um, you know, so long as they're great clients, you have to perform, right? You have to perform so long as they're not blocking you is what I meant to say. So, you know, they're not giving you everything at the beginning, but 
you have to perform. And to me, that's what I really enjoy um, about this space. Even if you're a fr- like, even if you're a freelancer, even if you're a boutique agency, you know, middle-sized agency, like you have to be agile, and you have to go from project to project, sort of. Um, you know, very dynamic like that and being able to not only sell it, but deliver on it at the same time. Do you enjoy that aspect of business? Um, like the sales process to delivery and, and that whole thing? Or do you sort of like partnering with agencies and having them handle that side of the house? You know, I've no pun intended. Worked with, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've worked with agencies. I've worked, you know, by myself probably for equal measure at this point. And I really think that I do better and enjoy it more when I'm doing the business and the delivery aspects that you mentioned because it gives me more access to the client. Mm-hmm. Um, and in an agency setting, I tended to do more of the design in a vacuum and that connection to the client and working with them and communicating with them sort of regularly and knowing them really helps influence and shape the design that I'm making. So for me, I like having all hands in um, everything. Nice. Do you prescribe to the, um, you know, the, the, all the, all the hype today of, um, I'm losing the word. It's, uh, like a done for you service, uh, a productized systemized approach to things. Or do you really start things with a blank canvas uh, every time you go into something uh, with a client, even from like the discovery process, not even like, you know, doing mock-ups to wireframes to that kind of thing. But do you sort of have a consistent system for every person or do you just sort of sit there with an open mind and let them, you know, vomit all over <laughs> your canvas for you and say here's what we need we need you know e-commerce we need lead capture we need all this stuff or you corral them and say no this is how i approach building your website yeah so i've noticed that um first of all i would say that my process my leads and all of that has gotten so tight over the last couple of years that i rarely have to turn away bad clients i get better leads than i ever have and i think a lot of that has to do with spending time curating my own site and the things that I put out there on social media so that a lot of the people I'm talking with from the beginning are people I would like to work with who are familiar with specific examples of my work and it's less of that cold leads thing where I'm not in control from the beginning really. Um, But I will say that I've tried to be good and tame myself a little bit from my wild process and productize it somewhat. So I do try to say if it doesn't fit in one of these two or three buckets, like a full whole on redesign or, you know, a customization of these three or four things, then I probably am not a great fit. I'm never going to get to a place where it's totally automated and totally streamlined and productized because I think really the essence of what I offer is a unique creation every time, a dynamic relationship with my clients and a partnership really. And I I don't mean to use that as a buzzword, but I really partner with people where I can see what they're doing and I believe in it. Um, And that's like the main criteria that I look for. So I'll probably never be hip to any kind of movement that's really smart and about working smarter and not harder and, you know, four-hour work week or anything like that because I'm just kind of set in my ways with my process. But I have gotten a little bit better about streamlining everything. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I already know the title of the show is, um, you know, you'll you'll never imagine, you know, no, it's going to be, here's what it's going to be. It's going to be 
this web designer never has to turn away leads and you'll never guess what she did next <laughs> because that's amazing. I talked to so few people, uh, even as many people as I talked to who, uh, you know, who don't struggle with, with leads, even if they've been in business for so long. And that's, that's a, you know, that's kudos to you. That's amazing that you were able to achieve that. I'm very lucky because I remember a time not too long ago where I wasn't in this position and I forget sometimes it's easy to forget when you have good leads and, I rarely have a problem with a client anymore. I rarely have people who go off the rails or, you know, I have to go out searching for this stuff. And I think that the secret sauce is just being true to the kind of work I like to do, even if it always hasn't been a big dollar amount project, and also just delivering every time on what I say so that a lot of things I get are word of mouth. Um, and that's been really effective for me. You, you mentioned that you have spent a great deal of time um, you know, really crafting the message that you put out on, in social media and uh, refining your own brand of your website for, for the people who are listening because now at this point they're, they're chomping at the bit for more of this. Like they, they, want, to fe- they want to work on a beach just like you. <laughs> um, you know, let's, let's go into that a little bit more. Is there a particular strategy that you do on social media, particular strategy you do with the website, and how do you connect the two? Um, if you could dive into that at any length that, that you might have. Yeah, and it's possibly going to be disappointing because I don't really have a strategy other than what's going to sound like a buzzword, which is just I'm just being myself. So the tone of anything I post or the type of work um, that I do, even if I just create it on my own to keep inspiration going, um, it's just kind of being authentic. I've been very hands-off about marketing and promoting myself, um, but what I do post uh, I think that it's really just true to who I am and the type of people I want to work with and the type of projects that I take on or that are meaningful to me. And that, So I think my website has tried to make it very clear um, the type of work that I do and the type of people I partner with and that I'm not just you know somebody to fix your website when it's down, a 911 emergency thing, or that um, it possibly obscures some element that I am even capable of fixing your website. Um, I've tried to like really shift it to design. Um, but social media, I'm not, I'm really not a genius on that. I've just started using hashtags last week. So. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> My strategy is just to be, be what I am. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, well, let's focus now on, on the actual client because, uh, and you mentioned partnership. I do want to get into that a little bit more too. Uh, but I can tell you that and you also mentioned red flags. I want to bring that back into the conversation. But there are times, there are plenty of times, in fact, where customer rolls along. We get the email. Hey, we've got this project. And the budget's there. Uh, but then when I get on the phone with the person, the lead uh, of that team, I can already tell that that personality is not going to fit with us. Um, it's sure. not going to fit with our style. Uh, and it's not going to, you know, it's just not going to jive. You, you know, I can tell because I've been doing it long enough. Are there other sort of red flags that you pick up on? Or is there like a personality test that you even put people through to see if they qualify to work with you? Uh, Definitely. So a couple of things, like you mentioned, a lot of it is just gut and intuition after you've worked with people a number of times. You remember where a previous project took a turn after that red flag. Um, So for me, it's... A couple of things. Um, in the inig- initial project inquiry, if they give me like a full brief and 30 links of things they want their site to be like, 
and they start really getting into details, I already know that this is a person who is not going to be able to hand over the reins. Um, and that's going to be a problem because at a certain point when you work with the designer, if you start micromanaging every design decision they make down to fonts and colors and tweaking every small thing, that designer will still work with you. They might not even complain and they will do it on time, but they have checked out, their eyes have glazed over and you're now paying a designer rate for a production artist who's just your hands in Photoshop. And then the designer isn't proud of the work. They don't post it. Um, you got exactly what you wanted, but maybe not what you needed. So that's that's usually my biggest red flag um, is that type of personality where they're going to be basically the designer. Sure. <laughs> uh, sure. That, that never ends well. Um, what about the person who has nothing, right? They, <laughs> they say that, you know, we've got the funds, we've got the budget, we've got the timeline. Uh, we want it to look like, you know, I don't know. Uh, Amazon.com. We want it to look like Amazon.com. You know, aside from the functionality and scoping that, but let's just say they've they've got an idea in mind, but they don't have any other concepts like internal pages, how the home page lays out, how the content pages are supposed to be uh, formatted. Uh, for the person who has literally nothing, um, but they have the budget, you know, how do you manage? How do you manage that expectation to let them know that well, we're not just designing a home page here. There's there's all kinds of other pages and fl and user flows that we have to pay attention to. How do you manage that person? Well, two threads there. The first is that I know that it's unpopular to work with people who don't have their content. And a lot of you know talks we hear at WordCamps or posts we read say content first or we don't work with you. And for me at this stage, that's actually a good project for me because now a lot of the work that I do with branding and having background as a um, writer and editor for newspapers I actually like to jump in and help steer that. To me, that's ideal, actually, because I can get in there before they've made a lot of possibly poor decisions um, without thinking about the design, and we can really start fresh, um, especially if the budget's there and the stakeholders are willing to put in the time and the work. That's something I would sniff out. It's like if you don't have anything, but you kind of just want me to do everything for you, and then you're going to check in at the 11th hour and veto it all, that's not, <laughs> that's not a fit. Right. But if you're saying, we don't know, we need help, we need guidance, we have money, we have time, and we're going to show up, then that is a House of Greatest project for sure. Um, but if it is an Amazon.com lookalike project separately, that is a not good thing. Right, probably. right, right, right. If the customer, or what would your ideal situation be? Because oftentimes, else, you know, I'll, people will come to me with, with nothing. Um, nice people, nice project, nice budget, but they don't have anything. Um, and they try to sort of convey their idea, you know, by, you know, like lookalike sites. They'll say, well, look at, look at this URL and, you know, just take, take everything above the fold and that's what we want. And then on this URL, you know, this middle services section is what we want in your ideal situation. And this is sort of you giving advice to a potential client. Like if you wanted them to draft out a basic wireframe like how would you want them to do that is, is like a PowerPoint situation okay like how would you like to receive that feedback you know short of just a couple paragraphs and links to look at like how can a, a basic user sort of mock something up to show us um well I don't typically encourage or invite users to mock okay. things up perfect but if I'm in that situation um Usually I'll just take the reins again and say, um, show me some of the, these things. Show me what you like about them. Like 
it needs to fit in a bulleted list. Um, backing out from there, before I really even get into that, I do have worksheets that are pretty easy and pretty guided that I put my people through. Um, and then I mandate what I call a Pinterest diet because I have a lot of the clientele that sees things on Pinterest and that's really a driving force in design right now. You know, anything that you go to create, they've already seen it on Pinterest or they've seen something on Pinterest and they come to you because they want that. And so I say at a certain point we turn off Pinterest, we stop looking at other sites and the line that always hits them is I say we're going to create something that other people will pin. And that seems to work to shut down the need to look elsewhere to copy other people's things and help them put the blinders on. Um, but as far as the just the mechanics of getting a wireframe from them, I would probably provide a wireframe and then I use a tool like Envision to keep the dialogue right on the page um, so they can say, I like this, I don't like this. Um, yeah, I love the Envision. Yeah. yeah, but in my experience, most clients have a real hard time with wireframes and that may just be my clients, but I think it's a really big ask for them to imagine it as a web page, so it's not something I do as often as I used to. That is actually one of my questions. And by the way, I just wanted to make—I just—I want to make mention. I don't want to—I don't want to skip over this. I literally reached for my wallet when you said you're going to go on a Pinterest diet. Let's make something that other people want to pin of yours. I mean, mm -hmm. it's such an awesome concept, an awesome line. Um, I yeah. love that. That was great. Um, but one of my questions is, how do you? Because it's not just your clients, it's my clients, it's, it's other agencies that I've worked with, bigger agencies that I've worked with, um, you know, when I'm working on them with another client project is the clients, they just, they, they, they can never see the, uh, you know, the paint going on the wireframe. They, they just see the wireframe and they say, what is this? <laughs> is this right. my website? Um, so what have you done with that uh that phase over the years, have you just, you know, just skipped right past it and went right into mock-ups? How have you solved that sort of gap right there? Uh, me personally, I've always just found it better and more efficient to just jump right into the home page. And I know for a while the big thing was a style tile and a wireframe. And I tried that. I gave it a good go. It was even an official process at an agency where I worked. Um, but I found that the longer I had been doing this, if I did my discovery work right, if I asked the right questions, if I truly immersed myself in the inspiration they had provided and we had good dialogue before, I've never gotten that first delivery wrong. I've, I mean, I'm not, I'm not bragging so much as I'm saying that it is possible to just deliver a first look that is really dead on if Number one, your client selection process has been pretty good and you know that this is a person who has a good chance of being pleased by something you create. And two, if you've done your discovery to where you, you should never be like way off the mark if the discovery and the client are right. And so for me, like minimizing that risk has made it safer to just proceed into a comp design from the, from the get-go. Sure. In most sure. projects. Yeah. And I mean, it has a lot to say, like you said, of, about... <laughs> The, the types of clients that you work with. And, um, you know, again, I think a lot of, you know, freelancers, people even starting out, even in even three, four years into it, um, I mean, at least in my opinion, is you're still trying to find your legs, especially if you're trying to grow a small team working together. Uh, but if you can really start to cater to a unique audience, um, even if they're in different businesses, but they have the same 
tastes? Because I'd imagine you you serve folks who have unique businesses but similar tastes. Uh, I'd imagine. I'd guess. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and you know that's that's one way to sort of like you said not strike out when you get up when you get up to bat because you know this is the client that you know this is this is the kind of design eye that they might have um, that you've been catering to for quite some time. Uh, yep. One of my past guests, I always reference him. His name is Jose Caballero. Uh, he works at an agency in LA, and he runs uh, something called. Uh, used to be called the school, S-K-O-O-L, um, and he has this process called the Core OS, um, and I, I mean, I just love it, and it's about, uh, it's about design, and it's made, it's meant for web designers, he's a, he's a web de- designer at heart, but it's really about partnering, and this is where I circle back to you and how you mentioned how you do partnerships, like, there is an entire process that he has of building a story um, of the brand that you're working with, with the stakeholders of a project. And it's to the point where you're defining a new story that they've never even, you know, they've never even thought of because they're, you know, they have brand goals or whatever, and, but they're busy running their businesses. They're either executives or, you know, solopreneurs and they're running their businesses, but they've never really sat down and started to build a story which then leads into user profiling, you know, who are your real customers? Like, define a story about this person, you know, give them a name, give them an age, give them an income. Um, I mean, it is super in-depth. Do you really go deep into defining the potential user of a a customer, of a customer of yours? Uh, What does that process look like? Or do you just, you know, focus on other areas of, of key uh, points of, of the of a project. You know, the thing that occurs to me is when you talk about um, the story or that method is that I think a lot of us as designers are natural storytellers. Um, I think that a lot of times we take on a project and we click with it or it resonates with us because we see that story. And sometimes we don't always know that's what's happened. When somebody emails you and they want to work with you, um, sure, some of the times you get excited because it's a recognizable brand or it's a big budget. But a lot of the times, um, you know, our hearts are in the right places. We're excited about it because we get it. We see their story. We get what they do. And we know that we have a great way to tell it. Um, and I've learned that, like, while a lot of us have that gut instinct to identify the story and a means to tell it, it's about formalizing that process like you mentioned. So for me, I do now do a lot more work about having them tell me their story, how they got into the business, um, kind of what it means to them, why it matters, and why they get out of bed every morning. I think some of my clients are uncomfortable with some of the questions that I ask them initially, but I tell them to just roll with it. Um, And then kind of identifying who they think their core audience is and maybe who I think it is instead. Sometimes that's different and where we can kind of merge those or how we can communicate to those people or... um, where it's going, but I think to answer your question, which I'm a little foggy on. No, now, you know, I'll tell you right now, you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said you make your clients uncomfortable because um, especially in Jose's process, um, which I haven't adapted, you know, to a T or 100%, but I've pulled major chunks of it and have incorporated it into our process. 
it's a very uncomfortable experience for some folks. It is. It should be, right? Right, and exactly, it should be. And back to why I love this game is, look, we're not just here to, you know, take these take these orders from you. Um, sure, you're a client, and we're going to, you know, provide a great experience, customer service, make sure that you're happy, and if you're not happy, we're going to fix it. But mm-hmm. you should want us to challenge you. And I've been in the room with, you know, uh, marketing leads and sales leads doing this process in the beginning they're like oh my god like this is going to take an hour and a half yes this is going to take an hour and a half uh, and, sure is. And, <laughs> and then they're and they're not they're like afraid to like you know we we go through this list of giving adjectives of um of different actions that uh that, that people are going to be taking when they go to their website and all this stuff but at first they're uncomfortable and then the magic happens when one person says you know, when they def- when one person defines it one way and the other person defines it another way, and then they start talking to each other, and then <laughs> and you just sit back and you just stay quiet, and they sort yeah. of work it out, and you're like, don't you guys have never had this conversation before, huh? And they're like, no, we've <laughs> never really thought about that before. It's like, ah, okay, so now it's all coming together here. Um, right. I mean, we should just be called web therapists at this point. I, I don't know. <laughs> that's, you know, that's really what it is. And I provide an ongoing web therapy <laughs> service to clients. Um, but well, one of the things, like, I have a number of questions that make people feel uncomfortable, but one of them is so simple and it just asks you to write yourself a five star Yelp review. <laughs> and people are like really hesitant to do this, I found. And then I asked them to write a one star Yelp review for themselves, which I guess they didn't see coming because I. They thought I only wanted to know the good. Um, but I get some really good responses. And then from there, people really kind of pick apart what they're doing and why they're doing it. And it's just it's changed everything for me to ask those deep dive questions. Are these questions, again, going back to sort of productized automa- automa- uh, automation, are you sort of sending these on an ongoing email? Do you have a, a sort of a survey that sort of fires off every few days, you know, while they're in the project with you? What is that? Gosh, I, I wish. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> oh, I, I actually just have, I have a Basecamp template for a number of projects, I think three different types, and then those have documents in them that are PDF forms that I fill out. Um, I tried a couple different ways, and that was the way I found that people – kind of took it off to their own little nest and took the most time filling it out. Um, When it was an online survey, which I actually did with Gravity Forms, people rushed through it um, to sort of submit it. And when I did the PDF form with the fields, I found that people kind of got more into essay-like responses. And then it seemed like once they did that, they had gotten all out of their system and they didn't feel the need to hit me up every couple days with, oh, and I thought about this, I like orange. Oh, and I saw the site that I liked. Like, it was a way for them to really just get it all out at once. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Um, let's turn to WordPress now and sort of, you know, some of the things um, going on with WordPress. How have you, uh, one of my questions here is, how have you sort of uh, bridged the gap between the function of WordPress and let's just say, let's just say the WordPress editor for to keep things easy, the, func- okay. the function of WordPress, the editor to design, right? And how have you bridged the gap of customers who go, wow, you know, my typography and everything looks beautiful on the front end, but why doesn't it look the same in the back end? <laughs> why am I using yeah. this sort of archaic editor and, oh, you want me to use maybe a, a class, maybe you want me to inject like a, a style class in this text editor. How do I do that, uh, you know? How have you bridged that gap? Because your designs, are, in you know, my opinion, are, are 
le- are leading, right? They're stunning, number one, but I feel like they are progressive and, and I think you are top-notch. It's not just a standard sort of theme look and feel where you can kind of get away with it, right? In, in a sense, your designs are, are great. And I'm sure there's people who say like, boy, how do I make a blog look beautiful uh, in your mock-ups like you have in your PSDs, but when I'm typing it in the back end, it doesn't look the same. <laughs> how have you sure. bridged that gap? Gosh, or have you not tough, yet? <laughs> uh, I tend to not uh, run into that too often. I think that ever since I sort of focused on the design over the development or the theme building, um, I've worked with people who are really smart and who tell me no when I have an idea that's a little too bleeding edge and is going to be a terrible idea on the admin side or the publishing workflows. Um, but for the most part, I think that working at 10up alongside some of the smartest engineers ever for a year has really kind of helped me have that discipline mm-hmm. to create designs that are safe and smart and easy for a publishing workflow or for a, a user to create. Um, but I do also feel like when I work with my smaller clients and I just either give them the, you know, the WP101 plugins embedded in their dashboard or a recorded walkthrough of their site, despite the fact that at the beginning, it's rough for them. Um, they tend to have no complaints and continue managing their site down the road. So I haven't run into that challenge quite as much. And I think it's maybe just because now I'm not creating so many problems with my designs sure. for my users. <laughs> sure. nice. um, yeah. Is there anything about WordPress from the designer's perspective? You sort of answered it uh, with that last one, but you know, with various page layouts and I'm sort of hinting at the fact of at page building here um, uh-huh. you know I don't th- as much as we all bash page builders I don't think page builders are a bad thing if done right because and let me you know let me take even take a, a step back from that like I'm, ta- I'm mm-hmm. talking more like if there was a content layout that was unique on a sales landing page versus the layout of a blog post versus the layout of maybe a team page, um, if we could give users some control, right? Maybe some control <laughs> to bring in yeah. large blocks of design elements that they could mix and match, not, you know, click here and adjust font size and click here and adjust padding, but major blocks of design. Um, that they could mix and match safely. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, do you see, I think Wix, uh, excuse me, God, no, not Wix, Uh, Squarespace. (laughs) Yeah, Squarespace. (laughs) I meant to say Squarespace. (laughs) I'm going to go back and edit that out. Um, I I feel like Squarespace gives a good um, designer-like building experience. It's, it's, It's elegant, right? It's elegant is probably the word I'm looking for. Um, mm-hmm. Do you kind of hope that WordPress has that? Do you think that's maybe a bad thing? What's your take on page building to a degree? Um, so I've used them pretty extensively. I built my own site on Make Plus as a page builder okay. plugin, yep. in fact. Um, and I've used Beaver Builder, which I think is my favorite. Um, I think for me, where I'm at is that I'm only able to be a independent WordPress designer, website designer, because WordPress allows me that flexibility. That's how I got into this, um, frankly. So for me, I appreciate that it breaks some barriers down and that it may not be the cleanest, best production-ready site, but I can get 
a site up that looks pretty great and you wouldn't be able to tell it was done with a page builder by myself. And that's, that's a cool freedom for me to have. Um, but when it comes to working with clients and with other developers, I typically kind of relegate my page builder use to a prototyping tool. So when, you know, a developer that I'm working with needs something quickly spun up just for a page template that we hadn't considered. And I cannot imagine waiting like 50 layers deep in Photoshop, then I'll just spin up a template with a page builder to, you know, get the idea, the layout out there. And then I might tweak it in CSS with the front end style. So for me, it's like, it's a mixed use product that I'm really thankful exists, but I also am friends with enough developers to not say that to them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I know what I'm going to hear. Um, although I will say that some of my more, uh, grumpy friends are really really big fans of beaver builder so i feel safe using that yeah, one yeah and it's a great answer because number one i love the answer about how it affords you the ability um to perform your job um not only to get the job done but i'm assuming it also helps you uh be profitable too you, you don't always have to spend hours trying to figure out code code uh snippets or you know getting the functions right because we all know that wordpress is uh, you know, very finicky on that front. So I love, sure. I love that answer, um, that it sort of empowers you uh, in at one end of the spectrum and then on the other, um, prototyping. Um, there's nothing wrong with it, right? And it's, it's a great way to rapidly uh, conceptualize things or prototype things. Um, and I find that very powerful too uh, mm -hmm. for, both, for both aspects. So that's an awesome answer. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a golden age because I was building websites when you could only use like five fonts and you couldn't do any of this. So for me, like I understand the challenges of page builders and the downfalls, but for me, it's like any tool, you know, if it's used well and responsibly, then it's a good thing for creativity. Right. And and why not give, and of course, this is topic for a whole other discussion, but um, why not give the power of some of this stuff safely to and end user, right? So that, you know, you design the major elements that they can incorporate, but they don't have to be knocking on your door every day to say, oh, you know, releasing this new post and we want to put this hero full with hero across the middle with a video in it. You know, look, let's just have the technology in place that allows them to do that. You've already, you know, designed it. And if they want to put it, they can put it. If they don't, they don't. Uh, but they don't have to be, you know, recurring every time that you need need a new post or a page up knocking on your door. Sure, it'd be great for your invoicing, but they probably don't want to pay for it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right, it might not be great for anyone. Yeah. Uh, so as we wrap up, Megan, you know, do you have any other words of advice for the freelancer who maybe just started out listening to this episode, um, you know, and and, and building uh, his or her business in the design world? Do you have any advice towards them um, to get going and and to stay to stay focused because it's a, it's a rocky road in the beginning. It's a rocky road in the middle. And it's a rocky road at the end. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's one big rocky road. One big rocky road. <laughs> um, you have any advice for folks who are just starting off? Uh, for me, looking back now, I would say that, you know, it's really important to constantly just focus on your work. There are a lot of distractions out there, a lot of noise, a lot of ways to get caught up in what other people are doing and how it's better or different than what you're doing, um, or what people tell you you should do, or how much you sh should charge. I think at the end of the day, the thing that will carry you the furthest is constantly perfecting your craft and finding out what your voice is and being true to that. Because 10 out of 10 times, the people I follow who are successful and who are happy, frankly, which is 
the real success. They're doing something that they love, that they've gotten really good at over the years. It's not an overnight success. It's, you know, 10,000 hours and then one day overnight kind of thing. So I really think it's just important to keep your head down, get to work and just keep keep grinding on it and uh i guess never never get too comfortable yep that is uh, an amazing answer that's usually the uh the thread of this entire show <laughs> and why i continue yep. why i continue to do it um megan it's been an amazing episode where can folks find you to say thanks um i'm on twitter and everywhere else house of grays or my website is houseofgrays.com it's amazing everybody else mattreport.com slash subscribe join the mailing list number one way to stay connected and if you ever want to pick on somebody on Twitter, his name's Rob New. That's the guy. That's the guy. <laughs> Rob, I ho- Rob, I hope you're listening. Hope you made it this far. <laughs> we love you, buddy. All right, everybody, we'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks, Megan. Thanks.